Is there a sweet spot between the two? The result is often desensitization towards sin. The sins that used to bother us don't bother us anymore. The influences we used to block from our lives, we are now welcoming with open arms. Our hearts, our minds have become numb towards sin. If I may ask all of you to stand and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2, and we'll just be reading three verses in this chapter. Verses 6 to 8. So Second Peter chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. And if you're there with me, let's read this, these verses out loud together. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. And deliver just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. You may now be seated. Back in 2012, when I was still uh, grade 8 in high school, so it's been a while, I had one class that essentially taught the students various practical skills. It was in a, a kind of rotational type of class. And that semester, or that year, we were introduced to four skills in total. And we spent half a semester on each one. The first one was kind of a bore fest. It was an introduction to circuitry. And I didn't really care for what we learned, <laughs> to be honest. Then the next one was woodwork. I think I would have liked woodwork more if the teacher didn't keep saying, if you use this machine wrong, you'll lose a finger. So I was kind of scared to wander around the workshop there because everything looked dangerous. So woodwork, I would have liked, but uh, it was too dangerous for my liking. Then the third one was textile work, learning how to sew. I'm pretty sure I still have my bag that I made, green bag. Mom still used it, I think, hopefully. But it was a beautiful bag. It should be going for a high right now if you sell it. And lastly, the class ended with everyone's favorite, every student's favorite, and that was home ec. Home economics was the class in which we were taught how to cook, how to bake, the best thing being we got to eat what we made, right? Obviously, you have to eat your own product. Overall, I really loved home ec. It was one of the best classes in high school. Top 10, oh, top five, no, the top three, baby. I do have, however, one bad memory during my time in home ec. I remembered we had just finished baking and now we were cleaning up. So off we went to wash our dis dishes and put away the ingredients and tools that we used. Fast forward a while, and we were all done, just waiting for class to be dismissed. And I remembered I was scrolling through my iPod Touch there, and, you know, just kind of, you know, scrolling up and down. I wasn't really looking at anything, you know, when you have no friends, you just scroll through your phone, right? So I was scrolling up and down my iPod Touch, and I leaned over on the counter, or what I thought was the counter. A few seconds passed by, and I realized that there was a burning sensation on my forearm. And then I looked down, and I saw that it was the stove. It was still hot. 
how should I know that? <laughs> Maybe the science. But anyways, I put my forearm on the stove. And something dumb that I did, I don't know why I did this. I looked at my forearm. I realized there was like a huge scar there. And my initial reaction was to put it back on the stove. I have no idea why that was my initial reaction. I think that was, I thought that it would relieve me if I put it back in the fire. But in a way, I dipped my forearm twice into that stove. And needless to say, I burned my, my forearm. And I would show you my scar, but it disappeared by now. It's been a lot of been over a decade now. But I had a huge scar on my left forearm. And I, I still remember the night of that injury, when, I, when that injury was fresh, and how I just couldn't sleep because of the pain. I was like a little kid. And my brother, you know, he was the MVP that night. He kept bringing me, you know, Ziploc bags filled with ice, and I just kept putting it in, and I just couldn't fall asleep. You know, I, my burn was minor, too. It wasn't even a bad burn, but I was just being a, a baby about it. After it mostly finished recovering, I recall the fact that my forearm became desensitized to the, the sense of touch. I could tap on it, other people could tap on it, and in my mind, it just, the, ta the touch wouldn't register as much as it would in, my, my, in any part of my body. It became desensitized or less sensitive to certain sensations that, that took place on it. Now, when we, whenever we discuss the topic of desensitization, what is the example that society often brings up? It's usually how games, video games specifically, how movies and how shows desensitize violence in the minds of children, right? When we hear the word desensitization, that is the topic that is usually discussed. And now I can talk about this topic. I, I, I even wrote a grade 12 paper on the, the, the impact video games have on the, the human psyche. But I want to further specify an area of desensitization that is, I think, more applicable to all of us here tonight. Now, when we are close to God, when we are walking intimately with Him and we have a close relationship with Him, it's no secret we become more sensitive to sin, to what is ungodly, to what is wrong. Why is that? Because we are becoming more like God. We are conforming to Christ's image, and so we are more sensitive to what is inherently against God. And when we are sensitive to sin, we are more aware of how we act in public. We are more aware, more importantly, of how we act in private. We are more aware of what worldly influences are affecting our Christian walk. When you're sensitive to sin, you know how certain things in your life are affecting you. And you know when to block out certain sources, and you know when to limit certain sources, because you don't want to be negatively uh, affected. When you're sensitive to sin, you see all of these areas in your life that you can improve in. But what happens when you get further away from God? What happens if you sought after a balance between pleasing God and pleasing the flesh? What happens if you are able to, just to, to, to find that sweet spot in between the two? Is there a sweet spot between the two? The result is often desensitization towards sin. The sins that used to bother us don't bother us anymore. The influences we used to block from our lives, we are now welcoming with open arms. Our hearts, our minds have become numb towards sin. Now how does desensitization begin to form in our lives? It's actually 
overexposure to the world, and an inconsistent walk with God. It's a simple equation. These two factors must be present in order for desensitization to form. You need to be over-consuming worldly influences and having an inconsistent walk with God, or a non-existent walk for that matter. It only makes sense because the more of the world you let in your heart, the more worldly you will become. You act like the people that you surround yourselves with, right? So the more of the world you let in your heart, the more worldly you become in the process. And the less time you spend with God, the less godly your character in life will be. Again, the less time you spend with God, the less godly your character in life will be. This is evident from our, the example found in our text passage in 2 Peter chapter 2. Lot was described as a righteous man. He was someone who knew God. We know that Abraham had a close relationship with God, but Lot also knew God, the same God that Abraham served. But the more time he spent with the citizens of Sodom, the Bible says, the more he vexed, the more he troubled his own soul. His first mistake was pitching his tent towards the city of Sodom. At first, he was kind of just interested in the city. But eventually, we find that he started living in the city of Sodom. And as the more he spent time and his life in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, the more he became desensitized to the wicked sins that they were committing. The only way you could stay and live in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah for a long time is if you numbed your senses and you just got used to the wickedness that they were committing on a daily basis. Because if a godly person were to go to Sodom and Gomorrah, they wouldn't last a day in that city. They would leave immediately because of, they realize how ungodly that city is. But Lot saw maybe the business opportunities there, and he decided to numb his own heart towards sin. And that's why he, he stayed in Sodom and Gomorrah. He vexed and troubled his soul by spending less time with God and being influenced more by the world. We need to always be sensitive to sin. Because as we will see tonight, desensitization to sin will affect us negatively in three different ways. And before we get to these, let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with me tonight, empower me. I pray that you just stifle my coughs and allow me to just not have a dry throat. Give me power, Lord, to preach. And I pray, Lord, for the hearts of the people present tonight. Give them a heart of understanding. And I pray that they would come away having applied the truth, the central truth that, I'm, that I will be conveying tonight. So I pray this all in your name. Amen. As I've mentioned before, <clears throat> desensitization to sin leads to three adverse effects. And we can see this evidence in the history of the nation of Israel. Now, it's no secret to us that Israel often erred. They often strayed from the, the proper path that they were supposed to follow. They were chosen to be God's nation, God's chosen nation, but they were often looking at the other nations surrounding them, and they, they were tempted by what these nations had to offer. And a lot of times it was the women that they were, they were kind of desiring. They were often commanded by God to not form intimate relationships with other foreign nations, but they didn't listen. This increased exposure to the world led to Israel become increasingly secular, more wicked, and desensitized to the sins. The first point here is when you become numb towards sins, 
you start this path of forming habitual sins. The forming of habitual sins. Now, nobody is perfect. I'm not perfect. Pastor White isn't perfect. Nobody else in the auditorium is even close to perfection. So we're all bound to make mistakes. We're all bound to make mistakes. And not only that, we're bound to struggle. We're bound to struggle with sin for the rest of our time here on earth. But the key word there is we struggle. To struggle carries with it the connotation that you are fighting back your urges, your temptations, and the desires that are pulling you away from God. You're trying. To struggle means that you are persisting. We, one of my pet peeves is when I'm playing sports, I get put in the team where when we start losing, the teammates just kind of give up. They don't struggle anymore to try and climb back up and even the score. They just mentally give up. And I'm now left alone. I'm the only one trying to win now. And if everybody else has given up, there's no chance for a comeback. I'm not good enough to make a comeback by myself. And so it's always a pet peeve when people stop struggling and fighting. Struggling is good. We may not always be victorious in terms of when we fight our spiritual battles, but as long as we're persistently trying to fight off our vices and, and, and seeking to improve as a Christian, that's what God wants. But when you become more exposed to worldly influence, the more you will start to convince yourself that the sins that you struggle with are not so bad after all. And when you're able to convince yourself that the sin that you're struggling with is not so bad, that struggling disappears. You don't try to fight the sin back anymore. You just revel in it. You accept it. You don't reject it anymore. You just accept it with open arms. This happened again with Israel. At the time, in their their spiritual peak, they abhorred foreign gods. They hated all of the different idols that were around. And they made it their goal to eliminate all traces of of it in the nation. They didn't want any any form of idolatry in their country. They they avoided idolatry like the plague. Why? Because God commanded it. If God commanded it, that's the end of. No ifs, ands, or buts. They just eliminated it. But what happens when they became desensitized? When they became buddy-buddy with the world, you could say, their stance on idolatry began to change. Let's go to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 17, which is talking about Israel here. Second Kings chapter 17, and verses 8 to 12. You don't have to read it out loud with me, but... Is following along as I read these couple of verses. And walked, and again talking about Israel, and walked in the statutes of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel, and of the kings of Israel which they had made. And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God. They, and they built them high places in all their cities, from the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city, 
and they set them up images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burnt incense in all the high places, and as did the heathen whom the Lord carried away before them and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols, whereof the Lord had said unto them, Ye shall not do this thing. Idolatry used to be something that was foreign in the nation of Israel. When they were close with God, when they obeyed God, when they followed His statutes, they, idolatry was foreign to them. But when they started making alliances, when they started marrying people that they weren't supposed to marry at that time, they exposed themselves to these influences. And the more they exposed themselves to idolatry, the more they were, they were able to convince themselves that idolatry was not so bad. It's just another God. It's just an image. It's just a grove. It's just offering incense to another person. It became not so bad in their eyes, and they stopped struggling with idolatry, and they started accepting it wholesale, and it became part of their identity. What set Israel apart before was they served the one true God of Israel. That's what set them apart. That's what gave them their identity. But when, when they started being like all the other foreign nations, there was no, they had no unique identity anymore. They acted the same way as all the other foreign nations. It became habitual. Idolatry became habitual. Now, what are some examples of, of, of habitual sins that Christians today are desensitized to? One, acting upon our lust. Acting upon our lust is a big one. There's a reason why some businesses and some websites are very lucrative. It's because people all over the world are acting upon their lust and feeding upon their lust and they, 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 they satiate their, their desire. And we become desensitized to it. People make it part of their life. We can be desensitized to gossiping. And talking behind people's back. You know that's condemned in scripture, right? Gossiping and talking bad about other people behind them. But we become desensitized to it. It's just become a form of social interaction with other people. Is talking bad about others. The justification of lying. As long as no one gets hurt in the long run, we can lie all we want. We can lie through our teeth. There's nothing wrong with lying. Some people might say, I've lied all my life and haven't faced any repercussions for it. We justify lying and we think that is one of the more minor sins. But again, a lying tongue is as bad as other sins in the sight of God. We are desensitized to an unhealthy pursuit of money. The love of money is the root of all evil. And we don't see any, nothing wrong with making money our, our number one goal when it is a, a sin against God. This one is something that I struggle with. But we become desensitized to the fact that we have outbursts of anger. For me, it's driving. I, I'm nat just naturally calm everywhere else, but when I'm driving, there's just some things that I witness that just make my blood boil. And the, thing, the wrong thing that I've been doing is I've been desensitizing this sin of anger. My outbursts of anger have made it normal in my eyes when it's not supposed to be normal. I've justified it as these drivers are dumb, but that's not enough justification. Anger is wrong. And in, in, in the, the anger that I was displaying was wrong, but I've de I became desensitized to it. I, I made it a part of my identity when it doesn't have to be. We become desensitized to excessive consumption of ungodly content, whether it be music, whether it be books, shows, movies, video games. 
We're, we're consuming, 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 and not even caring about how it affects the way we talk, the way we interact with people. We get desensitized to vanity, both in speaking vanity and both in hearing vanity. Sorry. Vanity, I, I, I got my mind was working ahead of time, but vanity, we, we become, we boast in our self-image. Profanity in our speech is the next one. We become desensitized to hearing people swear, and some of us may even struggle with swearing still, and we see nothing wrong with saying certain words. And a big one is desensitized to our neglect of devotion and prayers. When we spend enough time in the world, we get desensitized to these things, and we end up making these things habitual in our lives. Be very careful. When your conscience is no longer affected by the sins that you do, that should be a sign, that, that's, that should be a big red flag in your eyes. That should be the, the sign for you to decrease the amount of worldly influence that you receive and to increase your time with the Lord. Start to evaluate your life and see what sins you've been entertaining. I know I have some sins that I've, I've become desensitized to. I, as I've said, anger is one of them. Excessive consumption of ungodly content in terms of the things that I see, I just kind of ignore it. But I shouldn't ignore it. Sometimes I have to speak up and do the same in your life. See what sins you've been entertaining and not reacting as you ought to. Look at your habits and see if any of them by nature are sinful. And start to bring these to God and ask for forgiveness, and he will forgive you. And the second effect is the hardening of our heart. The hardening of our heart. Desensitization not only leads to the forming of habitual sins, but it also results in our hearts becoming hardened. In the same passage that we looked at earlier, again, let's look at 2 Kings chapter 17, we also see the hardening of Israel's heart. 2 Kings uh, chapter 17, verses 13 to 15. Again, follow along. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and by all the seers, saying, Turn ye from, my, from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Notwithstanding, they would not hear, but they hardened their necks like to the neck of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and his testimonies which he testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the heathen that were round about them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. What is a hardened heart? Well, let's talk about a common scenario we have. All of us here, we make conversation with all sorts of people in our lifetime. Now, some people that we talk to are more expressive. When we tell them an exciting news, they become excited. When, they tell them, when we tell them sad news, they might even cry. And they're, they're very, these types of people are very fun to talk to because they, you know that they're listening, right? You know they're listening because they're, they're, their emotions show it. Another type of person to talk to are the guys with poker faces. You know, you can tell them the, the most amazing story ever, and they're like, that's cool, bro. And straight face, don't react, they just, that's uh, pretty cool. And you would assume that they weren't listening to what you just said, so you repeat the story again, and they have the exact same reaction. And it's not that they don't care, it's not that you're boring them to death, but that's just how they are. They don't express emotion as well. 
But then there's a third type. I'm fine with the first two. I like the, the first one, the second one I, I can handle, but this one grinds my gears. It's the people that when you talk to them, it's like you're talking to a brick wall. You're, just, you're, you're saying stuff to them, something maybe important that you want them to understand, and they make you repeat it again. And they make you repeat it again, and they make you repeat it again, and they make you repeat it again. And, and it, gets, it, it, it gets on my, in my nerves because it's, not, it's like they're not listening to what I'm saying. This happened a lot when I was working in, in, other, in the supermarket. When I was asked to train other people, they were high schoolers, I would tell them to do this. I would come back from a break, and it wasn't done still. I would say, hey, can you do this again? And I would show them exactly what to do, move around a bit. They still haven't done it. And it was frustrating. It was like talking to a, a brick wall. It feels like their head is in the clouds when you talk to them. And it's incredibly frustrating to talk to somebody who doesn't, who doesn't seem to be listening. And you don't want to make conversation with a person like that for a long time because you just get frustrated in the, in the end. Now that's essentially what having a hardened heart is like. But in this case, God is doing the talking and communicating and we're the ones being the brick walls in the conversation. We're the ones being who are being frustrating towards God. Now, God talks to us through various avenues. He talks to us through our devotion. He talks to us through sermons and Bible lessons. He talks to us through conversation, maybe with, a, with another person. He talks to us even through our downtime. There are, sorry, there are some nights where I just drive in silence, and I'm just talking to God, and I'm just thinking about certain things in my life, and God can speak to us even in those, in those calm times. God is always speaking to His children, but a hardened heart fails to listen to God's voice. It hears God's voice, but it chooses not to listen and chooses not to obey. Now, an unsaved person, they can't hear God's voice too well. So it's natural that they don't listen or obey. But as a Christian, God is constantly speaking to us. We are capable of hearing God's still small voice, but it's us that makes the choice not to listen to God. Now, I know it's difficult to be fully attentive at all times. There are days, maybe today is for you, when physical fatigue sets in. And we can't focus exactly on what is being said in a sermon. Maybe there are days when, you're so, when there's so many things going on in your life and, and, and it's just kind of like floating around in your mind that you can't think about what is being said in the pulpit. And I understand that. that there are days like that. But the problem is not when you have those off days. The problem becomes when it becomes, you become perpetually dismissive of God's will and God's voice. Week in and week out, you can sit down on a Sunday to hear a message. You can sit down on Sunday school, in Sunday morning, in Sunday evening, on Wednesday split classes. You can sit on all these four services and you come away leaving the exact same way you came in. Maybe you were in agreement with some of the points being said on the pulpit. You thought that he, was, uh, he made some good points that morning, that evening. Maybe you even thought that the message was good, good sermon. It was very engaging. But you know, those two things, doesn't, they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't change a person's life. Being in agreement with the, what the person is saying, thinking that the message was good and you were thoroughly engaged throughout the whole hour, that doesn't matter. What matters is in the end, 
you apply the truths that the preacher was trying to communicate, that you make life changes. But a person who is, has a hardened heart, they don't apply any of the truths that they've learned. And they continue living as they've always lived. That happened with Israel. In verse 13, God sent a whole host of prophets and different preachers to Israel and to Judah to tell them that they need to change, that they need to get rid of this idolatrous nature that they have. But they never listened to any of those prophets and preachers. They continued living the way they've always lived. And eventually they were put under captivity because they never listened. They were just so stubborn and hard-hearted. You know, God often speaks to us about areas in which we can improve in. Because God is always trying to prod us towards spiritual growth. He wants us to become better Christians, to become more like Him. And when He speaks to us, He's speaking to us about maybe things that we ought to remove in our life. So when we willingly ignore God's voice, when we willingly ignore God's command, we are stunting our own spiritual growth and preventing ourselves from reaching the potential that God has for each of us. I don't know how often maybe you pray for this personally, but I think something that we should often pray daily is for God to soften our hearts. To not make our hearts, to not have brick hearts, but to have spongy hearts. Hearts that can absorb everything that God is trying to teach us. Because when you're like a sponge towards God, you will grow exponentially in a short amount of time. When you just take God's word and you just try to apply it in every way that you can, you will grow by leaps and bounds. But when you have a brick heart, it's no, it's no surprise that you can stay the same even 10 years from now. If you want to spiritually grow, pray for God to soften your heart. Lastly here, we can form habitual sins, we can harden our own hearts, but lastly, we become a poor influence on other people. And to see this principle, let's go to the New Testament. Let's go to the New Testament in, in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. Verses 13 to 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Follow along if you're there. It says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now I'm not here to break down the two metaphors, but I am trying to focus our attention to the fact that we are to have an influence on the world. We are not called to be isolationists like the Amish, they prefer to live in an isolated community. They don't touch technology. Don't, they barely interact with the outside world. And they're very much isolationist. And we're not called to be that way. We are called to impact the world with our testimony. 
Just how salt impacts whatever we use it for, whether it be for flavor, for preservation, for thawing the ice on the road, or for fertilizing the, the farming ground, salt is impactful whenever it's used. It is always efficient. And also the other metaphor, just how a small little light can impact a dark room, a pitch black room, we're also called to brighten this spiritually dark world. Whichever metaphor of the two that you decide to focus on doesn't matter. What matters is for us to realize the important role that we are supposed to be playing when it comes to the society around us. I've heard some people say that they hope nobody is looking up to them. That they hope that nobody is following their example. They don't want to be an influence to anybody. But the thing is, unless you're living under the rock, unless you're living in an isolated island, you have an influence on somebody. You have a constant influence actually on the people that you interact with on a daily basis. And we have to be aware of this fact. We all know the, the, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, both great men. But there was an instance in the Bible when the Apostle Paul publicly rebuked the Apostle Peter. In Antioch, there was a, a big problem with some of the Jews not accepting the Gentiles as brothers, as equal. And obviously Peter didn't believe this, but there was one specific instance in which Peter, he was happy eating with the Gentiles, but the moment some of the Jews walked in, Peter left the table and he stopped eating with the Gentiles in order to please this crowd. And guess what? Some of the people who looked up to Peter did the exact same thing. They were influenced by their pastor and they did the exact same thing and they treated the, the, the Gentiles differently. Even though that's not the case. The gospel is supposed to unite people, but they were promoting division. And so Paul publicly rebuked Peter for doing that because he influenced the other Jews in his church. Now, I'm not saying that Peter was desensitized to sin at this point because he was a great, uh, he was a great man. But what I am saying is that Peter had an influence and he used his influence poorly. He had a negative influence on those who looked up to him and those who followed in his footsteps. And when you are desensitized towards sin, you can only be a negative influence on other Christians and to unsaved people. You become a negative influence to Christians because you are willingly excusing certain sins and you are not encouraging and challenging them to be better for Christ. And you become a negative influence to unsaved people because when they see you, they don't see another Christian. They don't see a Christian. They just see themselves in you. Instead of seeing Jesus in you, they see their exact self in you. Because you don't act any different from them. You talk the same. You walk the same. The only difference being that you label yourself a Christian. And so when they walk away from your, their interaction with you, they're left with the final conclusion, Christians are hypocrites. The amount of people that I've met in life, the, the reason why they don't like Christianity is because they've labeled us hypocrites. Because in one point in their life, they may have met a guy who claimed they were Christian, but they swore like a sailor, they drunk like the best of them, and they didn't act like Christians. And the people that they came into contact with 
have left with the conclusion that all Christians are hypocrites. One person can change your, your, your interaction with one person can change your entire perspective on Christianity. We have an influence. We are called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. So we have to start living a holier life and become positive influences on those around us. If you're a parent, your children are closely imitating your lifestyle and values. The apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. The way you act at home, they'll see that, and they'll develop the exact same problems when they grow up. Again, this not for everybody, but a lot of times this happens. If you're an older sibling, your younger brother or sister is following after you, trying to be exactly like you. And if you set a bad precedent, they'll, they'll follow your footsteps. Even a young guy like Cody, you know, when you're playing with Titus, when you're playing with maybe Ethan or Evan, they're, they're looking up at you sometimes. They may be looking up at you and they might see, oh, if he's doing it, if Cody's doing it, it's fine for me. And they can even develop negative habits as young as that. People are, we all have an influence on somebody today. I understand my influence as a pastor here at Grace Baptist Church. I understand that some people are watching my actions and have to live according to that understanding. I think all of us have to live according to that truth. Let's make sure that our lives better reflect the character of Jesus Christ. And this will be impossible if you are living in sin behind closed doors. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Desensitization to sin creeps up on us slowly. That's why we often don't notice it. Someone once said that Satan doesn't try to ravage us, but he seduces us by a process that is sometimes so slow we don't even notice. It's similar to the famous frog in the kettle illustration. You place a frog in a boiling water and it will immediately hop away, hop out, because it senses the danger, the immediate danger it's in. When you place that same frog in, in a warm water, you know, it's not something too uncomfortable, and then you gradually increase the heat up to boiling, guess what? That frog won't even notice that the water is boiling at that point, and it will stay in that pot to boil to death. It creeps, his death creeps on him slowly. And when he notices that it's boiling, it's already too late for him to jump out. Desensitization to sin follows a similar path, progression, to that adage. Now this sermon is both a warning and exhortation. Warning, because if you continue on in this way, continue on being desensitized to sin, what will follow are habitual sins that are incredibly hard to quit. A hardened heart that will stunt your spiritual growth. And, when, and you becoming a negative influence to those around you. And if you feel that you have become desensitized to sin, I urge you to make it a priority to go to God every single day and ask Him to help you to be sensitive to sin once more. Restore that relationship that you once had with God and cut off any worldly influence that have been controlling or affecting you. Because in the end of the day, if you live a godly life, your life and testimony may impact somebody and make them come to Christ. 
Your life, think about it, even without talking to them, your life can help lead someone to Christ, to Jesus, just by your walk. And I think there's no greater blessing than that. Let's start being more sensitive to sin. Let's start being more keenly aware about the things that we're doing, the influences that we're accepting. And let's be sensitive to sin once more. That's right. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.